Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 180 of The Yacking Show. This is a show that aims to enlighten you, enable you, hopefully entertain you, but most of all, awaken you to the new perspectives of the changing world we are living in, and it's certainly changing. As always, we have an interesting guest, but it's not my job to introduce guests because Kathleen does it a lot better than I do. Our co-host, Kathleen Beauvais from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter, and thanks for that intro. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is John Manley. Hello, John. How are you today? Hi, Kathleen. Peter, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, John, you are an author, and you're also an activist from Stratford, Ontario. Uh, you've, you've just published your first book, and it's called Much Ado About Corona, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, uh, can, yes, let's take another look at that. Okay, and we'll be sure to put that up again uh, a little sure, bit later sure. on. But uh, before we get started, tell us about your background and what led you into to writing a book. Well, uh... I, I, those are kind of two separate questions in some ways, but um, yeah, you know, I'm writing a book's been a dream of mine since I, I think grade four. Actually, I was a very slow at learning how to read. It took me until about grade four, and I suddenly went from being illiterate to being able to read full length novels in the course of two or three days, two or three months. It was kind of a big wow. leap for me. I don't know why. I, the first book I ever read was a Hardy Boy novel, and then I can continue to read like another hundred of them which have quite a bit of a template to them. I started to discover after the hundredth novel. Yeah, so anyways, yeah. uh, <laughs> I went from that to uh, writing. Uh, I remember I wrote this story about a lone goose flying. And I actually got in trouble with the teacher because she accused me of um, plagiarizing it, even though I had written it myself. So I went from almost being illiterate to writing this story that I got accused of plagiarizing. So, um, yeah, actually, I've been working on... Um, fiction probably uh 10 years ago i had was very heavy into it and then i had a son no i guess that was 15 years ago having children kind of interfered with that as so i kept on writing fiction on uh the side just a rough draft uh, two pages every day i did that for 15 years anyways um when um uh, 2018 i really got focused on the side 2019 i was going to finish a novel and about halfway through that the uh covid um situation started and um, I decided to write a short story about the COVID situation. I just put my novel down for a little bit of time. And I, uh, uh, that short story turned into a 500-page novel. So at least I got a novel done, but it wasn't the novel I was working on. And um, it tied in a lot, too, because I was very skeptical right from the beginning of what they were saying about the COVID situation. Because I had, as um, my primary career was actually writing for uh, ghostwriting for doctors, both medical and alternative. So I'd been, and usually wow. writing material where it was like, it was material meant for the lay person. So I had to like dumb down. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say dumb down because I think they try to make things overcomplicated uh, medical studies and so forth. They insist on using Latin for everything and that kind of thing. So anyways, um, I had been already well-versed in interpreting medical situations. And when I saw this arising, I wasn't convinced at all that 
the uh, reaction was anywhere near justified. So, so those two things kind of collided, my love for fiction and the love for, well, I don't say it was a love, but my career, which was already involved in sort of deciphering medical truths and lies. Okay. Because I was going to ask you why you converted what I thought was going to be a simple love story into one based around this whole COVID virus story. But so you, you've, you've answered, you've answered that, that um, very well. So <clears throat> I've read the book. Uh, I would like to say I enjoyed it, and I'm going to qualify that saying I really enjoyed the way you wrote it. And no, but it's a good qualification. I, I enjoyed the way you wrote it. I enjoyed your writing. I enjoyed your characters. I enjoyed the story. But the emotion that stirred up in me was one of anger, um, mm. which, as Kathleen quite rightly pointed out when we were talking about this the other day, I said, well, isn't that the mark of a really good writer that he stirred up that emotion in you? And I said, yes. The reason it stirred up anger is I'm so close to it because we live here we've suffered exactly what your characters have suffered and uh what you say in the book you're preaching to the so i'm doing on my side a whole lot of stuff which we don't need to go into because it's your show not our this is your episode but that's why it stirred up anger in me right because so much of it was so close to what i'd experienced myself and was experiencing and what i was seeing people experiencing so i don't want to give the plot away but i i'm giving that qualification to tell all our viewers and listeners this is a really good book and uh it, you will feel what people in this part of the world have been going through so you now it's your turn. You tell our, our audience why they should read the book. Oh, I appreciate hearing that. Um, I have to say, I, I don't know how many people have said anger. Well, yeah, anger has been uh, one emotion I have heard different people describe, particularly in reaction to certain scenes in the book mm -hmm. and certain characters, uh, in particular, the uh, protagonist's parents. Actually, I found more people were angry towards the protagonist's parents than the villain of the story. They yes. had more sympathy for the villain who is an OPP police officer who, um, you know, does horrible things in the novel, but they still found Vince's parents who disown him just because he has uh, a positive COVID test and uh, needs to be quarantined over Christmas. So uh, it's one of those novels, too. The feedback's been interesting because I've, I've heard this expression, if you have a thousand people read the same novels, they're all going to read a different novel and you have yeah. a thousand different novels. And um, like I was shocked. I had one person describe it as uh, mounting sexual tension through the book. And I was like, what, what, are we talking about the same book? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, you know, that, that was interesting. I mean, it is a love story, but I, I kept it very PG. PG. Um, so um, it, um, I, I, there's two audiences because you said that it was kind of almost like it's preaching to the choir. And actually, and I have people who are um, on the other side of the fence coming over because of this novel. And that's been, sure. that was one of the goals. I, I have one, uh, <laughs> it actually shocked me. I didn't think this would work. My mother who lives in a retirement home, she ended up buying, I think, 20 copies by now and giving it to all the attendants and PSWs and the receptionists and the, the retirement home. I said, mom, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> and they all loved it. They were like, yeah, sure. you know, this this confirms what's been in the back of my head that something yep. was wrong here. Um, I, I was I've been surprised some of the people I, uh, who have written me and said they bought this book and they haven't actually been, you know, they've been on the accepting the official narrative regarding yep. COVID. And for some reason, this book they wanted to purchase it. I don't, I don't. They don't even know why they purchased it. And they said, well, this actually uh, helped me. Um, I don't know. I, I help them for some. I don't know. Well, I think the it's not a very didactic book. I mean, it does 
present a lot. I think it presents enough evidence to get people to at least come to the fence. And then there's enough resources at the back if they want to jump over the electric fence. And it's a hard fence to jump over because it is electrical. It's, you know, in the sense that if you are going to shift sides on this opinion, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and then uh, the the flip side is we have people, maybe more in your category, who would come to me and tell me the book was therapeutic for them, that it was almost healing to uh, this confirmation that, are what, what has almost become you know the pr- prime minister called a fringe minority view is really not as fringe as mm-hmm. as has been made out to be that right. enforcing uh, rapid you know expansive human rights violations in the name of protecting from a virus that didn't even seem to meet uh, pandemic standards so anyways the the exaggerated response or possibly um that, that's being polite. If I just say it was an exaggerated response, yeah. it, it could have been, I, I suspect a lot worse. So, so yeah, I've been getting yeah. a lot too of where they find it very therapeutic. Right. Good. Good. So, Kathleen. So reviewers are saying that the book manages to depict the horrors of the mandates while making the story palatable with plenty of humor. How were you able to balance those two extremes? <laughs> Uh, I think, I mean, I had to work on this novel. For, it took me over 1,100 hours and two years of work, mm-hmm. averaging about one to two hours a day and and 18 drafts. So I think I needed to add the humor into it for my own sake. <laughs> the, the original version of it was much darker, and um, it was hard to go through draft after draft of a dark mm. story. Um, I'm a big fan of um, a saying by Josh Whedon, who's a famous film producer, uh, tv film producer his most famous thing i think is buffy the vampire which i've never seen but Mm -hmm. he also did the firefly series which i think is a really brilliant dystopian have any of you seen it no i haven't it was it was a tv show that he produced it was canceled after seven episodes so that shows you how good it was they they messed it up and they didn't want it on the air because it was speaking out against tyranny but he had an expression that he used with it was um you need to make it dark you need to make it grim you need to make it tough but then for the love of god tell a joke okay <laughs> good one yeah 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 uh, interesting so i i've got something i want to ask you and i'm going to veer away from the book for a moment but i want to ask you this before i forget it you mentioned in, on your website that um you escaped from the clutches of a of a cult and living in a commune and i can't not quite sure if we were both at the same time or not so that really intrigued oh. me when i saw that <laughs> Yes, uh, I, I, at, um, I, must have, I guess I was 18. I, I graduated from high school a year early because I really wanted to get out of there that badly. And um, I moved to, uh, it was actually kind of a Hindu yoga monastery in Southern California. Uh, was run by one of those Indians who come over from yeah. India. I, I assume because India couldn't stand them any longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, they promised a lot. And I, it's one of those things, too, where they, a lot of the introductory stuff is very useful. They taught a lot of meditation. And yeah. um, they, it, was a, it was kind of a hook and bait type thing where they give you very, it was very um, useful meditation techniques that I actually I found uh, life-changing. But then they promised there was this ultimate meditation technique. And you could only get that if you, you know, signed your soul over to the organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a lot of the same stuff, actually, you see with the COVID um, situation where uh, social isolation, um, yep. being told that what you think is invalid, 
and that you always had to listen to the authorities above you. Um, I lived in there for three years. And I mean, a lot of the people there were wonderful people, just like you see, like in the medical system and people enacting the police system, you know, great people. Yeah. They're just following orders from top down. Um, it, it was the level of deception was very similar to where we had um, very similar to the COVID mandates where they're telling the authorities are telling us, you know, you shouldn't you should mask, you should social distance. And we're getting pictures of them having parties. Mm -hmm. no mass no social distancing yeah, yeah. Right. uh we had the exact same thing with like the uh the uh, monastics at the top we were told that you know they were living in you know deep meditation and always in their room and, and then we found out that they didn't even live on the property that's why we never <laughs> saw them they actually lived in this big mansion in downtown los or not downtown los angeles but this really rich section of los angeles i believe it's called sierra madre and it was actually the Los Angeles Times who cracked that one. And we were like yeah. passing the newspaper around. I was like, well, that's why we don't see them. They're living in a mansion. <laughs> they have a poodle and a pool. And we're like living. Uh, the, the saying was we got a dollar a day and all you could eat. And uh, yeah. <laughs> small rooms. I mean, so, yeah, I could go on. But I mean, there was just a very similar levels of deception and where you eventually it was like one by one. You on your own, you almost had to decide, OK, this is wrong. People who did leave usually did it quietly. People mm -hmm. who did leave were often bribed to leave quietly because a lot of them had no money by that time. So it was like, listen, we understand you want to leave. Here's $3,000. You don't say anything. <laughs> Sign here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and then did you come back to, sorry, Kathleen, you came sure. back to Ontario after that? Not really. Actually, I moved to Florence, Italy. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of the, I went from living in a monastery to living in like Florence, Italy when I, I, cause my, I had two dreams. Well, my dream was to become a novelist. That was like, since I was very young. So the logical thing to do was to become a painter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually was a kind of a throwback to the monastery days because they demonized novels there. Like that yeah. was one thing you were not allowed to read. You were hardly allowed to read any books except the books they gave you. So it was one of those situations. So, um, unfortunately I went towards portrait art, which, um, was something I enjoyed. I did enjoy drawing, but it wasn't at the level of um, uh, what I felt about novel writing. And especially, I'm also half blind, so portrait art, fine portrait art, was not the uh, wisest sure. um, thing to take on. But I, I did two years there, and um, and then I did move back to uh, Canada and uh, tried to pursue the the portrait work. It was um, I was doing great stuff, but it just took me too long to get the things done, and. Um, in the, in the meantime, I ended up helping some people with their business writing. And I was like, oh, I really enjoy this writing stuff. So I ended up helping more people with their business writing. That led to me helping doctors and naturopaths yeah. and a lot of rogue medical doctors. And uh, it ended up becoming more of the career. But Interesting. I understand you're actually in the midst of writing another book. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. That's the sequel. Ah. 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 Yeah. I can, you can see the... Uh, I do everything in rough draft first, like the whole novel was written. So wow. I already got 90,000 words written and transcribed of the sequel. Though I have to admit 45,000 words were written before I wrote this one because I actually ended up writing the sequel first. This was actually flashbacks. Ah, okay. okay. And the flashbacks got out of control. So I just made the whole thing. Made it in the book. And it was, it was the right time to do it. So that, oh, well done. Very good. Very good. So... Do you want to say more about that, or you don't want to give too much away about the sequel at this stage? 
Oh, um, up to you entirely. Yeah, I don't, I because it, it really takes off from you know the cliffhanger okay. at the end of the novel, which apparently mm. is that's the only that's if you want to talk about anger, that's the, what seems to make most people angry about my novel is the cliffhanger at the ending. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, got, I got an email from Ireland and it was just, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All I'm going to ask you will we will we see some of the same characters in the in the sequel? Can you give oh. that away? Oh, absolutely! And I mean, okay. some of the characters who are a little minor in the first book become much bigger, like Claudia, okay. the nurse from the. So, um, but yeah, and you know, and yeah, so okay, and oh, even with even with flashbacks, I can even keep some of the characters who got killed or died. So. You know, mm. so. <laughs> no, that's good. No, I'm looking forward to that one as well. So. I, I'm talking about characters. I got the feeling that um, some of the characters in the book are based on people either in your community or people that you've uh, seen news of in the in the news and the media and this sort of thing. Some of them sound just so true to life that uh, they have to be based on real people, or is it all figments of your imagination? No, I think there's a lot of truth in that because um, I, I say it's something I thought I was going to be really have a hard time with was doing the characters. And originally mm-hmm. the novel only had three characters and every draft, it kind of expanded. No, it was four characters. And, and then, you know, by the end of the novel, there's quite a, quite a retinue of characters. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, Stephanie, the main character, the, the one who's the quote unquote conspiracy theorist who caused all the trouble in the town. I say she was actually largely based personally, uh, partly on just my own, personality and my own self and then uh tamara ugolini from rebel news yeah familiar yeah. with her yeah and then then i had a friend in high school who was actually very much involved with uh protests and going against things that she didn't agree with on a large scale and her name was actually stephanie too with spelled with the german f which i liked yeah. because that that added a bit of um a bit of rebellion you know that it, her name wasn't spelled properly and it actually made more sense to spell it with an f and there's that one scene when the cop comes into the bakery and um, she kind of shows how she's not scared of him because he's like, well, you know, what's your name? And he, she's like, Stephanie Mula. And he's writing it down and he's like, well, make sure you, that's an F, not a PH. And make They're sure right. you put the, the two dots over the U and just yeah. to, as an opportunity to show she wasn't afraid. Um, Vince, I think, was just kind of an archetype for the common Canadian who is on the fence. They, if, if no one tells them this is not something's not wrong, they'll just go along with it. But I think in subconsciously, yeah. they yeah. realize something's wrong with what's happening. And, and we're seeing a nice shift where more people are waking up and realizing that this inner feeling they had that this was um, so many levels of this are not true. Um, right. And then the grandfather was very much uh, modeled after my own father, who actually okay. had dementia too. A lot of the lines in there were straight out of my dad's mouth. Really? Uh, yeah. 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 Very and good. I don't think I could have pulled out a dementia character without having, you know, spent so much time with one. And sure, sure, sure. I, I don't don't think I exaggerated. So yeah, those are some of the characters I could go on. Every one of them actually, I could probably link to somebody. Oh, excellent. And- and I take it then you had to do quite a bit of research before starting this novel, right? Even though these characters are f- fictional and the storyline itself is fictional, but you must have had to do some digging into, like, do some research behind the mandates and behind COVID itself and, and all of that, correct? 
Yes. I mean, when I say 1,100 hours, that probably doesn't, that doesn't include any of the COVID research. Mm-hmm. At the time when uh, March 20, what was it? Uh, 2020, I guess 20, it was. 2020, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the prime minister announced that he was going to throw, put, him, put everyone under house arrest for their own good. Um, for two weeks. I, yeah. For just two weeks. Yeah. It's, uh, I, it, even that sounded absurd to me, just two weeks, but I, I had a, I had a gut feeling he wasn't going to do it that it, that was just the beginning he did it on a dark moon too which i i don't know if he did it purposely or not but uh, <laughs> it, it was announced on the day of the dark moon and mm-hmm. um i started immediately i i had a web i put up a website called much ado about corona and i was writing the novel i was writing a short story just a 500 word short story and all and which came 500 500 pages but every day i put out about a 500 word article just doing some research and then sharing with the world mm-hmm. in a simpler form, much like what I was already doing for the medical doctors, so forth, where I take complex stuff and simplify it down. And, and I thought, oh, this will work very well. I'll just put out an article a day and people will just go, oh, yeah, of course, right. this, this doesn't make sense. There's no evidence to justify the threat or what they're doing. So I did that consecutively for a whole year. And after a year, I realized, okay, this left brain stuff's not working with most people. Mm-hmm. And that's when I shifted more to the novel writing. On yeah. top of that, though, interestingly, is I probably spent two, 300 hours of that time of the 1,000 hours I spent on the novel researching other elements that had nothing to do with COVID. Because right. you'll see there's so many tidbits in there that... Oh, yes, like, there's lots, lots, lots. So that actually brings me to... My next question, because of all the research that you've done, this is just your personal opinion on this, but do we have reason to be optimistic for the future? Do you think they're going to win out in this agenda that they have? What are your thoughts on that? I don't think they will in the sense that um, they'll get what they want, but I think it's going to be, they're going to leave a big mess. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, I think what already was happening was society was collapsing. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways what they're trying to do is more of a controlled demolition that will benefit them. There's that side. And there's a flip side also that I think they got very scared too, because for the first time in history, the common man has access to as much uh, media and communication means as the average person. Like for me, I mean, I didn't get this published by a profession. This this actually looks better if you actually see a hard copy better than a lot of uh, professionally published books and I have self-published this myself and anyone can buy it anywhere in the world from any bookstore so that's just one example and then of course mm-hmm. like what you're doing right here with uh, the podcast which is much more accessible than any radio show had ever been mm-hmm. you know radio shows you had to be there at a certain time and then mm-hmm. I, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so I think in a lot of ways they were very scared they were losing control at the same time they were bank they had already had bankrupt most countries and then people were waking up and able to share information. So um, I, my, my general feeling is there's, well, there's already been a lot of suffering and death. I mean, that's, I mean, probably more suffering and death in the last two years and in developed first world countries and what's happening in third world countries is even more horrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to see a lot more of that. And, um, but at the same time, what we're seeing is um, this, coalescence of people of like mind finally being or people who are i think have the self-confidence and the self-respect and the humanity to not put up with this and they're 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 uniting in a way that never would have happened before and and it's so 
my prediction is, yeah, it's going to get a lot more messy. I think it's going to be a lot nicer on the other end. I don't know if every country will be, and maybe some country, you know, people will be collecting in certain places. I'm not sure, or at least collecting in certain countries. I wouldn't be surprised if Alberta, for example, breaks off from Canada. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if that's the case, I might be moving there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we might be. Might yeah, I that's gone through my mind, uh, and maybe and maybe not join up with the new one of the parts of the USA. Yes, and now the USA may break up too. Well, may well. There's, uh, I see the most popular theory I've been reading about is um, West Coast liberal, Northeast liberal, but they're too far apart geographically to be one unit. And then the South and then the, the Midwest as all totally separate cultures. And uh, many of those would be still in the top several countries worldwide, you know, in the world for economy and population and everything else. So, I think it's it could happen certainly, yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, as I said earlier, you're, you're you're probably preaching to we are preaching to converted with with certainly with me and Kathleen is a little bit more polite about it, but certainly to a degree to her. Uh, and I think you've answered the question, but you woke up very quickly, and perhaps because of the work you were doing writing for doctors to this big being a big fraud. I, it took me about two weeks as well, and yet I come from a totally different background to you. Um, <clears throat> is that about right? That in the first two weeks you realise there's something wrong here. Um, are you referring from the first two weeks when the prime minister announced lockdown? Yeah, or? yeah, 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 yeah. When they first, when it first became public about how bad this was and how drastic action had to be taken and all this. Well, of- yeah. I'd say even, I mean, right from, I first heard about it when I, I was actually in Mexico at the time um, when they first announced it on, and I, I just shrugged it off. I was just going to be SARS again, you know, like the yeah. SARS-CoV-1. Uh, personally, like my, with my research into um, uh, microorganisms, let's call it that, like I'm a terrain theorist. I don't actually believe contagious diseases exist in the first place. So that when, once I know they're doing anything with contagious diseases, I, I either know they're just not paying attention and there's another cause or they're faking it. That's my opinion. But um, no, and I, it, uh, oh boy. I mean, it's just, there was just so many obvious layers of lies mm-hmm. with it because I knew that lockdowns would not do nothing. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that was ridiculous, especially locking down healthy people. That, yes. That's never been done. They were just doing things like they admit that they had no data and they admitted that they're doing things that never been done before or tested. Yeah. So, I mean, they're talking out of, I guess, I don't, it, it was, it's frustrating because to me, it was so, so obvious they were lying every time they opened their mouth. Yeah. I think the, how they got away with it is because they had so, they had coordinated it so well that the whole world was lying at the same time. At the same time, yeah. Which with a in few itself, exceptions. Which, which in itself must make any logical thinking person suspicious, right? When the whole world does something mm. in long step like that. It, uh, it, that's uh, another we, way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. Though um, I remember I had people saying to me, if you can't trust the World Health Organization, who can you trust? <laughs> which became a, that became a line in my novel. So <laughs> like, oh, God, I'll write <laughs> yeah, that down. Right. I think I remember that. We're, we're sort of getting to close to time. Kathleen, you need to ask John something. Yes, John. Uh, tell tell us how people can contact you and where they can buy your book. Sure. Uh, well, my website is blazingpinecone.com. If they want to go straight to the book page on the site, they can go to much to do about corona.com. Otherwise, the book's available almost anywhere you can get a book. So 
of course, Amazon has it. And mm -hmm. um, if you buy it from Amazon, that's great. Please leave a review because they still kind of rule the book world. But I, I've, I've been uh, amused by how many people who are readers of this book who refuse to buy anything from Amazon, so, which I can understand. And um, so uh, right on the website, they do go to muchadoaboutcorona.com. There is actually a link there that shows how you can order it from your own bookstore or get it in your library. I've been pleased to find out several Canadian libraries already have it. Good. Which, Excellent. yeah, yeah. If you people request it, it's pretty hard for them to deny it because it's a Canadian. It's a story set in Canada, written by a Canadian author, so that falls under yeah. their Canlit requirements. So, um, I think having this in libraries would kind of gives it a status of um, acceptability, but also will reach people that it wouldn't uh, otherwise reach, even though it makes me less money. But I'm okay with that. Um, which is also kind of neat. A lot of people don't know if a, a book goes in a Canadian library fiction, the government actually sends the author money. Oh, is that right? Oh. Yeah, every year is to help compensate for your lost sales. So um, I think the governor general writes it or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, I'll, 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 I look forward to that check. Uh <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. So, um, and then also on my website, if they want to, they can subscribe. They're, well, there's a, they can go if they want to see, I, like I said, I've been writing articles about this since March 2020. So the website's blog goes back to March 2020, and they can uh, read it right from the beginning, um, me speaking out about this. And then um, if they want to sign up, uh, I put out an email now about every week. They're, they're kind of more uh, different than the, the news um the kind of more news-based uh, emails that people usually are getting about this. I've been trying to more make them a little more entertaining and a little more about the humanity of what's going on versus um, the the science and so forth, which now they can get right. a hundred different sources. Mm -hmm. Whilst when I started, hardly anyone was speaking out. That's Even right. the alternative media was on board with this. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to jump in quick and say I've been subscribing to John's weekly newsletter for several months and uh, since meeting John in the rain outside uh, the city hall in Stratford, I think way back in January or something, we mm -hmm. um, one miserable afternoon, but we did our bit and I've been subscribing to his newsletter and it's well worth having. He has lots of good stuff in there, a bit of humor, a bit of news, a bit of entertainment, but uh, well worth getting. So thanks for that. Well, oh, no, you thank know, you. we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining us, uh, John. It's uh, It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. And oh, thank, great. Yes. And thank you all again for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.